Welcome back to the podcast. In this week's episode, I have our very good friend Lawrence Yap back on the show. I'm really happy he's been back for a third time, and since everyone, including I, seem to like these episodes, we are going to have him back even more. In this chat with Lawrence, we start out with his move recently made at Faf Automotive to become creative director. Some of the inspiring things Faf is doing these days, that's influencing the company's direction, are now under Lawrence's careful control. We moved on to discuss the great vehicles he's recently been in, the likes of the McLaren 720S and the FAF-commissioned 911 by Singer. Then we take a completely different direction and talk about the $10,000 race car challenge they've put on for the various FAF auto dealerships across Ontario. Lastly, we talk about LA. Radwood 2, Singer, Icon, Magnus Walker, and Lawrence's connection to all of those great folks. As usual, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. We are going to start this up. We are now officially on episode 33 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome back for the third episode, Mr. Lawrence Yap. Uh, We're going to talk about the goings on of the wonderful car world and what he's been up to. So Lawrence, thank you so much for coming and welcome back. Thanks for having me back. So since our last discussion, Lawrence has moved into one of the most unique and interesting roles within the automotive industry that I've ever really come across. He's gone from marketing director for the FAF Automotive Partners to a completely new role as a creative director for the entire FAF Automotive Partners group. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into exactly what that entails in a little bit. But uh, on in equally as interesting news, Lawrence has also had the opportunity, as he usually does, to drive a few really special machines that he's going to tell us about, as well as a very cool initiative that the dealership group has embarked upon, a $10,000 budget race car challenge between the dealerships in Ontario. So to start it off, creative director at FAF. So Lawrence, in terms of like where this came from, did you know any other creative directors at auto groups or uh, different auto partners or kind of was this all you? Like how did this come about? Well, it's funny. It wasn't really all me, although, you know, I kind of helped shape it once the opportunity presented itself. Uh, As far as I know, I haven't come across anybody in a dealership group that, that has had this title in the past. Uh, but essentially what happened was uh, Chris Pfaff and Mark Fisher, who's my direct boss, came to me and they said, yep. you're doing a really, really good job, but we got to get you away from this day-to-day stuff and let you go crazy a little bit because that's kind of why we hired you. Uh, when I first started at Pfaff, the first six months before I became marketing director, I didn't even really have a job. <laughs> and I kind of roamed around and talked to people and kind of helped them get things going. And I think that they saw a lot of value in that. And, you know, at the time, you know, they needed somebody to run the marketing department. So I, I had experience with that in the past and they, you know, kind of did that for a couple of years. Uh, but yeah, this is, this was really something that, that was driven by them and a desire to kind of take me out of the day-to-day routine and sort of go, okay, um, here are 10 things that we as a dealership group really want to do, um, they kind of need somebody to push them forward. And part of the job really is to uh, 
talk to people, understand kind of the dimensions of what they what they want to do, and then figure out how to get them done. Um, so it's not creative director in kind of an advertising sense where you're saying, okay, I want this font or I want this photograph. Or, yeah, of course. Yeah, I want this look and feel. It's more kind of a bigger picture kind of thing where it's like, who do we want to be? What do we want to stand for? And what are the things that we can do to distinguish ourselves from all of the dealer groups out there? Because as you know, you know, there's a lot of consolidation happening. Dealers are getting bought up by these groups that have multiple stores, we're one of them. Uh, but it's also, you know, you're facing encroachment from the manufacturers and more and more restrictive kind of regulations in terms of what sort of tiles you can put on your floor, what font you can use in your advertising, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes more difficult to kind of set yourself apart. So all of the stuff that I'm working on is kind of like, okay, we really want to do this and it's going to be something that makes us a little different. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's makes complete sense you're preserving the identity of what faf means to everyone mm-hmm. because i feel like out of a lot of the dealership groups that are out there faf is one of the ones that seems to be the most recognizable and i you know i think that the roots of faf starting in such a an established way with such established brands mm-hmm. has obviously helped to contribute um to the level of recognition and respect that I think the name immediately conjures when people think of it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, I don't know, I, I guess anyone that I've ever spoken to that's had an opportunity to deal with the the dealership group or the automotive partners at FAF have always had great experiences. And it always seems to be this level of service that's a step up. And I'm not saying that just because you're here, but mm-hmm. realistically, that's something that I've recognized on a regular basis. And it I think that having somebody to help control both that identity and preserve what's happened and what's been established already is such a smart move for for the group. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know, Hans Pfaff, who started the company, he worked at a Volkswagen dealership in Toronto. And, you know, his whole thing, he was one of these guys where he said, oh, there's got to be a better way. And in 1964, he talked Volkswagen into giving him a franchise. No kidding. I had no clue that was... Genesis. Yeah. The, and the interesting thing is they gave him franchise and they said, well, it's a new market. And this was in 1964, right? Where new market was like really, really, really far away. Not a lot happening in new market at that yeah. time. And, you know, it's, it's pretty lively now, but it's still, you know, it's north of the city. Mm-hmm. And he really had to work very hard to distinguish himself and to build a name for himself because to be somebody that's living in Toronto and to deal with a dealership in new market, you've got to give them a real you know, reason to go and deal with you. Yeah. So he recognized kind of early on the importance in investing in customer service and, and in marketing, right, and in getting his name out there. Uh, so, you know, I'm very fortunate that the company's always sort of invested in this kind of stuff, and now it's just a matter of, you know, preserving it and also doing stuff that continues to make us cool, right? Yeah, I cool, cool faf yeah. is. Um, so... As you're doing this, and I know it's a, it's a very, very new role for you. Are there I think any I'm three things? weeks in now? <laughs> three weeks? Yeah. Nice. Um, now, are there any things immediately kind of on your hit list or on your wish list that you want to maybe not so much accomplish, but you want to try out um, or things that now in this new role that you may have a little bit more freedom or liberty to be able to go and do? Um, you know, as you've gotten into this, I think it's probably changed your perspective a bit and maybe some of your colleagues' perspectives on mm-hmm. what could or should happen. Well, they're, they're you know, unfortunately, because the stuff I'm working on is 
kind of stuff that we like to think is a competitive advantage. I can't talk about it too much. That's but, fair. Yeah, that's fair. You know, there are things that are definitely on my hit list, you know, to to kind of emphasize. I mean, one of them is, uh, you know, sort of getting a broader picture of uh, of our customers. I mean, one of the one of the challenges of dealer land is just the number of different systems that that, that operate kind of at a dealership level and, and all of this legacy kind of technology. So mm-hmm. that's sort of a big project and trying to tie that stuff together. Um, motorsports is a big part of what we do. We spend a lot of money on it, uh, but how do we take that and sort of take that culture and make sure it infuses everything, you know, kind of at the dealership level. And one of the challenges as you grow, right? Like when you were everybody, you know, living out of of one dealership in Newmarket with Porsche VW Audi, you know, maintaining that culture uh, was easier back then than it is now when we're so geographically diverse where we're 1,200 employees instead of, you know, 35. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a big thing. Uh, but there's there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff in the works that if I do my job right, you know, hopefully people go, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, I think there's one of them in particular we'll talk about in a few minutes as well. But um, I mean, we were just talking about it before we started recording too. Uh, we should really invite Edgar Wright to Canada, back to Canada, do a short <laughs> yeah. film with Faf. Yeah. Baby Driver Canada, and yeah. let's see what they can actually do with that. I mean, I think maybe we could maybe encourage a bit more interesting driving and um, maybe something a bit more spectacular than what they did. I was really, I, I, I was a bit disappointed in the stunt driving. I like what the caliber was. It was pretty good. But I think that yeah. they could, you know, they could make an entire short film just in the stunt driving world of Baby Driver, which I think that the world would accept very well. I've always dreamt of just making a car chase movie. Oh, that oh, has yeah. nothing, that has no plot. I mean, Ronan came yeah, pretty close. It did, but, yeah. Uh, That's kind of one of, I mean, I may, be, uh, I may be setting myself up for some major criticism, but I feel like Ronan is one of the only that I could. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Death Proof is kind of, you know, it kind of yeah. went there, but it was kind of it was wild and fanatical. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, we should get Edgar right here and do some really cool driving. Well, you know, it's interesting. Fact. I think one of the things that's kind of on my mind is, uh, you know, we, we may or may not get around to talking about the future of, of, of automotive and autonomous driving and car sharing and all of this stuff. But one of the things I, you know, that we've talked about constantly is what inspired you to get into cars in the first place. Yes. And I don't think that manufacturers or dealers are doing enough to inspire a new generation of enthusiasts. It's like, you know, we're all, we've all gotten pretty good at selling cars and at putting, you know, the monthly kind of sales offers and service offers out mm-hmm. there and, and mm-hmm. pushing volume. The economics of it all. The, you know, yeah. the kind of mechanics of running a business. But, you know, there was a time that I was inspired to get into cars. And I think that nobody's really doing a good job of that right now. So... Yeah, I think that's definitely an opportunity. There are huge opportunities there. And I, I would I would even say because I've been kind of removed from it for a, for a while, for a long time. And it is, it, once the kids came along, it changed everything again mm-hmm. was I, I really loved driving simulators yeah, um, or racing simulators. And the more and more I got into them, the more and more I wanted to go out and actually do it in real life. And yeah. I, you know, got me into um, starting into autocrossing and doing some track days and some time attack kind of stuff, just going out and having fun and understanding the limits of your car in a pretty mm-hmm. safe environment. And I experienced it the other day with a friend of mine, and he has 
I mean, what I would imagine to be a, I'm not going to say budget, but because he's invested some money in it, mm. but this setup with a force feedback wheel, I think it's a PlayStation force feedback wheel, which is incredibly, incredibly, um, uh, what's the right word? Tactile in yeah. terms of that, you know, you get so much feedback from the wheel. You really, it's almost as if you can feel the, the wheel slipping as you're, you know, coming into corners and it's not very technical description, but you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, he has a gated shifter and then he has the entire pedal box yeah. um, with three pedals. And to be able to go out, pick your car in, um, we were playing Project Cars and Project Cars 2, mm -hmm. which were really, really great simulators. They did the sound really well. They did all of the driving dynamics really well. Uh, and then he even had a VR set for, I think we ended up playing Dirt or Dirt 2 or yeah. sort of one of the, the rally simulators where you can literally look around and you can see everything in the, in the virtual reality setting. That to me is such a huge opportunity that I, I think some manufacturers are capitalizing on and some are really, really falling behind on where they have an opportunity to introduce people to a car at possibly the most affordable stage yeah. in their life uh, to be able to influence them into something that they maybe have a desire to go for where it's no longer a it's no longer the poster on your wall of the Testarossa. It's, I think you need that too. You do yeah. need that. You do yeah. need that. But now this has been such a nice supplement where my go-to car is a, you know, a rough, you know, CTR. Do uh, you, you know, do you think you would have been into WRXs were it not for video games? I highly doubt it. I think that there's a whole generation of, you know, not a whole, a whole generation of people whose the cars that they fell in love with, they fell in love with in driving games. Like, the Nissan GTR probably would never have made it to North America were it not for the fact that there was, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people playing with them on PlayStation and going, wow, this car is really that awesome. Is, we want that. That's right. Or the Integra Type R. Yeah. Those, those are the, you know, those are the poster child cars for, you know, for driving and the influence that it's had through video games. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, GTRs, the yeah. number one. Some of the coolest stuff that we've done and, it's, you know, the least expensive stuff we've done is, you know, a couple of people that are much more technically adept than I am. You know, we've got our race cars in Forza Motorsport. No kidding. Like Do you that. really yeah. have that? Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. And it, because, you know, all it takes is time and and a little bit of work to, to put a car in there. Wow. Uh, so again, you know, it didn't really cost us much, but the, you can drive our race car, you know, no in a kidding. video game. Wow. Um, okay. Well, there you go. Nice plug for Forza. So yeah. anybody who's out there wants to drive one of the FAF cars. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of, you know, doing driving, but now into the real world, because mm -hmm. we've turned this over to where you have had time in two cars that blow my mind, and I want to hear everything that you have about them, um, the McLaren 720S and the FAF Commission 911 by Singer. Yeah. Both of those cars, since the last time we chatted, I've, I've watched you catalog on your Instagram account, <laughs> and I've been drooling over them going, oh my God. Um, so let's start with the 720S. Yeah. I mean... So you had it. How long do you usually get these cars for when you get some time to experience them? Both of these cars, and the 720S, I've spent a little bit of time with on the road here in Toronto as well. Uh, my first experience with it was, you know, an hour or two, kind of pick it up at the store on a Saturday afternoon. It's not too busy. It's like, okay, I'll be back in a little bit. Right. Uh, and then uh, we were out in Vancouver for uh, this event called Luxury Supercar Weekend, which is essentially... You know, kind of a high-end garden party uh, at the Van Dusen Botanical Gardens over a Saturday and Sunday, oh, nice. as well as a bunch of other events that kind of happen around it. So there's like an opening night party on the fr Friday night, and we did a 
thing at our store on the Thursday night and, you know, a bunch of customer stuff. So um, the 720, I've maybe done 150 or 200 kilometers in total hey, now. That's not awful. It's not really not awful. Yeah. Um, it is... I mean, this is the thing with cars nowadays, right? Like everything is too fast and too capable and it's just insane. You know, there's the, there's a ramp you can, when you leave our Toronto dealership and then you kind of make a couple of right turns, there's a ramp onto the 407. Um, and you can see sort of far enough down the road, that like, okay, well, if I kind of, you know, get into it a little bit here. You like I was hard on the brakes at the end of the <laughs> just emergency <laughs> traffic. And I'm like, okay, that's really really impressive, uh, but it's it's one of those cars that's just so capable. And you're like, where, where am I going to use all of this performance? Except yeah, I was just going to say, is it is it one of those ones where you feel like, um, I mean, you know, full capability gets unwound yeah. at a track, obviously Absolutely. for almost everybody in any case, anyways. But with that one in particular, did you feel like? Uh, da daily drivability from what I've heard in terms of whether that's yeah. set up and suspension and everything like that. Um, is it a, is it a car you could live with every day? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that one of the things that I think really distinguishes like a great fast car versus like a really good fast car is how much sensation you get when you're not going quickly. How much feel are you getting through the steering do you feel kind of cool in it? Um, you know, is the throttle easy to modulate at 50 kilometers mm -hmm. an hour? What's the brake pedal feel like? Things like that. You know, I think the the most interesting thing about the 720 is that you kind of expect the performance to be, out, uh, you know, out of this world, right? Like it's a carbon tub, it's got 720 horsepower, and it's got a pedal shift gearbox and all this stuff. Yeah, aero braking. Um, Does it have, it has aero braking. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So when yeah. you, you know, when you hit the brakes hard at the end of the on-ramp, like the, the wing <laughs> pops up and you're like, oh, I yeah, can't no, see behind me right now. It's the telltale sign that you're going too fast. Yeah, exactly. Like, Doink. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that that's sort of the distinguishing thing about it is that, and where McLaren really, you know, has set itself apart is that the ride quality is absolutely insane. Like it has, it doesn't have anti-roll bars. Um, oh, so great. it's got this, yeah. hydraulically cross-linked suspension. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. rides like a Rolls Royce as well as being able to do all the quartering stuff. Um, the brake pedal feel is like miles ahead of, uh, what the 650 was, which was pretty good, but this is like, you know, kind of on another level. Um, and you know, the gearbox calibration has taken huge leaps forward. It's just, it's so easy to live with. Uh, as well as, you know, so extreme. And I think this is one of the cool things about modern performance cars. And maybe one of the not so cool things as well is that they can be everything to any, anybody at any time, right? So it's like you get in and, and the car is like, well, what do you want me to be? If you want if you want to put me in track mode, you know, I'll, the, the, the instrument panel flips down and all you see is a rev counter and your speed. No way. And, uh, you know, everything's kind of in maximum attack and you can kind of dial it back and it, has a great sound system and it, you can order one with a glass roof. And so it feels oh, man. really, really special to drive in the city. But yeah, it, it's just, it, it's, it, the breadth is, is, you know, kind of unbelievable and it looks, you know, insane. Yeah, they but, really, they really do. And it looks really, it looks quite, it looks quite long. That sounds silly mm -hmm. to say, but um, yeah. when the MP4 12C was released. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing it for the first time in real life on the road and I kind of went, oh, wow. 
it's a lot smaller than I thought it would be. Yeah, McLaren always actually, you know, has, if you were to see a McLaren F1 in person, you'd be like, that's it. I see. Yeah, I've yeah. seen photos. I've never seen one in, in person, but that's yeah. one of the other things. Like it, it's a quite, quite the small, short car. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all low, but um, so 720s. Is, is it is it at all longer than? A- yeah, it's a, it's it's a little bit longer, but you know, it's not fundamentally any bigger than a 570 is. It just okay. has a lot more presence. Right. Uh, yeah. Dumb question, which I I just don't know because the world of supercars is so beyond me at this mm-hmm. point. Um, was the 560? Was there a long tail version? No, no, there hasn't been a uh, there hasn't been a long tail version of the of the sports series cars yet. Oh, okay. Uh, but the plan has always been that you know for each model line, the, the the mainstream stuff, the sports series being the 540 and the 570, and then you've got the super series, which is now the 720. Mm-hmm. Used to be the 650. Is that there would be coupe spider and long tail versions of all of those cars. Oh, okay. So, you know, will there be a long tail the... version of the 570? Probably. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't understand kind of the way that it was positioned for mm-hmm. that. I'd only ever heard the terminology. So I guess mm-hmm. that makes kind of makes sense. It would, and now do you prefer like out of, out of all of them, the spider coupe long tail? Um, well, I, you know, I haven't spent enough time in the, in a six, seven, five long tail, so I couldn't really say, I mean, everybody that I speak to that has driven that car seriously kind of puts it in their top five, right? Okay. Of of anything they've ever driven. I will say that I've spent a lot of time in the lower end stuff, the 570, you know, lower end. Yeah, I I know. Right. Like the, the $200,000 ones, uh, the coupe and the GT, uh, and now the spider. And those, I mean, it's sort of, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more of an old school sort of sports car, car guy. So they're not quite as otherworldly in terms of how they perform. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit stiffer in terms of their ride. They're more conventional and less sci-fi in terms of like you, you can't just mm-hmm. turn into a corner at any speed and expect to <laughs> right, sort of okay. make it through. It's the less tires rocket are, ship. Yeah. yeah, the tires are intentionally narrower. They have conventional anti-roll bars. There isn't enough hydraulic suspension. So you have to mm-hmm. drive them a bit more. But I like that because it's a little more rewarding and you can, and you know, you have to pay attention. Um, Price on 720S? Uh, you know, 319 with the average car going out the door for around 400. Wow. Uh, like most cars, kind of, you know, over $100,000, average option load is about 25% of MSRP. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, everybody loves to load them up. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving from, okay, so from, I mean, I wouldn't say the epitome of British sports car, but I'd say it's pretty damn close. Oh, it's right up there. It's pretty damn close. And in terms of performance, you know, not really that far off of a P1, which, you know, now yeah. on the used market is a two plus million dollar car. God, that's crazy. Um, you know, this doesn't have hybrid, uh, yep. but huge advancements in aero and the performance of the engine, just kind of everything. It's amazing how quickly all of this stuff evolves. Like if you look at Porsche, you know, back in 2013, 657 on the Nürburgring and the 918 Spider, and everybody's going to go going like, oh, it's a sub seven minute car. Yeah. And they just did that with a 911. Right. You know? Oh my God. Isn't that crazy <laughs> that evolution is happening right now in front of us? Yeah. I mean, there are obviously still some people that are enthusiastic enough to be building these cars and want to build them mm-hmm. for, you know, they're, they're, there's obviously a purpose and there's a role that they play in our market, but they're wants, they're not needs. Everything, honestly, you know, I've, I've said this for years, anything beyond like a base Toyota Corolla is 
<laughs> is not about need anymore, right? Like yes. Corolla is kind of all the car we need. You, you're right. You're um, right. But that would be awful if that's all we ever needed. Um, no, but, you know, arguably it's like the best car in the world, right? You can't kill them. Yeah. <laughs> so... I like I like our I like that our wants are driving some of the really interesting things that we're seeing Absolutely. out there. And yeah. with that said, we move into a British gentleman's yeah. reimagination of the incredible 911, mm -hmm. which is the FAF commissioned 911 by Singer. Yeah. And so I mean, God, we could talk about Singer forever. We could. So and, Rob yeah. Dickinson. Yeah. Um, and now Rob has an interesting past too. He is a mistaken. singer. He's a musician. <laughs> yeah. Is he not? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so originally st studied transportation design at the Royal College of Art. Oh wow. Was okay. a designer at Lotus. Really. Uh, before he, you know, discovered that he had a knack for music and became a rock star. So he was the lead singer of um, Catherine Wheel. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he kind of left the whole automotive thing behind, moved to Los Angeles, bought, you know, a 69, 911 E, kind of hot rodded it. And then people started coming to him and go, going like, what you can doing? you do that with my car? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I, I don't know it personally because I don't have a 911, but mm -hmm. I know that the 911 community can be extremely, extremely critical of anyone who does anything but a period correct restoration. Mm -hmm. And you have Rob going ahead and really changing just about everything. I mean, I, I think that it was, uh, gosh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think it was um, Richard Hammond yeah. who had said that the the best description that I oh, it was James of, May. It was James May, right? Yeah. That it was a it was a love, love letter, letter yeah. to the nine eleven. Yeah. Um. So I did butcher it. Yeah. Um. But James May's yeah the the love letter to the nine eleven, and I think that's such an eloquent way of putting it for what I've seen. I've seen it in person. Sorry, I've seen. Um. Uh, gosh, what would it have been? It was the Montreal Commission. Uh, Montreal. Oh, the Targa. Yeah. Yeah. And it blew me away. And mm -hmm. it was funny because. When I approached it, I didn't necessarily know what it was. I just thought, oh, wow, that's a super, super nice looking mm -hmm. 911. And as I walked over to it and I got a little bit closer, I could kind of, I could start to see some of the real characteristics that Rob puts into these cars. And then when you get up really close to it, and if you know anything about them, you really start to recognize how special the car is and how perfect every single detail is. And you look at it, the interior and you look at the way that it's been finished and you think uh, this can't have been something that came from 1976. Yeah. Um, but that's actually kind of the cool thing about these cars is that, you know, I'm kind of like an incognito sort of guy. I don't really want to draw all that much attention to myself. And the cool thing about a 911 that Singer has look, looked at is that to probably 90% of the population, they'll kind of see one go by or see one sitting on the street and go, oh, well, that's a really nice old Porsche. Yes. And, you know, and that's kind of the appeal of it. But the people who know really know, and then they, you know, they kind of lose their minds. <laughs> and it's funny because we were driving around, you know, during this weekend in Vancouver, we were driving, woe is us. You know, there was uh, the, myself and a couple of the guys from Vancouver uh, and one of our one of our team from Toronto. And we had to move a Pagani Waira Roadster, oh my God. a 720S, <laughs> and this 911 around. 
and you know totally maxed out you know you can spend seven eight hundred thousand dollars with singer oh on, my god wow. on, on something that still looks like an old 911 and it's right, really yeah. funny you're kind of driving these cars around in convoy and nobody's looking at you except for like the one guy that's like oh, oh. what is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but what's interesting about all of the all three of those cars is that they're cars that you know a lot of cars get worse the closer you look Right, yes. you, you you look at it. You look, you can look at a car and you go, "Oh, that's amazing!" And then you start to look closer and you go, "Okay, well, mm-hmm. I can see where they're sharing a part with some some mm-hmm. other car." Or you look at a car and and you sort of go closer and you go, "Oh, you know, it, it, it's really beautifully finished up to this point, and then you know the materials you know below that aren't aren't mm-hmm. so great." Yeah. And the work that Singer does, the work that Pagani does, and and McLaren more so on like the technical stuff in the body where you the seven twenty, but more. You look at the body like, oh, it does. They're doing that too. There are three cars that get better the closer you look at them, um, and that's not common these days, right? Because even even some pretty high end brands, they're like, no, they're platform sharing or they're part sharing or, right? You know, or you open a door and the door jam, or you open the trunk and you yeah. look at like under the trunk lid, things just they're yeah. not finished to, to the eye and then with these cars you know that every single piece and every body panel is so perfectly yeah. constructed I'll, I'll give you a perfect example you know i on my old 911 I, the the window switches are the most vulnerable part of the car they're these mm-hmm. cheap old things that they haven't re- redesigned since like the 70s and inevitably at some point during the year i will push a little too hard on on one and it'll break mm-hmm. Singer takes that piece, they 3D print out of metal the frame that this little paddle switch, you know, sits yep. in, this plastic It's switch. like a little toggle, right? Yeah, it's like a little toggle yep. switch. And then they polish the hell out of that toggle switch, you know, to the point where it's like piano black finish. Oh, man. And the amount of time and effort that goes into making one of those window switches is like, you, you not, it makes zero sense because this is a, a part that I can buy for $45. You know, and they've reimagined this window switch to the point where it's probably like a five hundred dollar piece because of oh all the manual God. labor that goes into it. Yeah. Um, well, these are the things that I love so much when, and I think that you have such an appreciation for them because you've had access to these types of vehicles for a long, long time. I mean, maybe not so much Singer because I, well, Singer's been around since. since- Early 2011 really oh. is kind of when they... Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Sorry, I yeah. was thinking even earlier than that. But, um, you know, when you get into a car today, let's just take a kind of, maybe not so run-of-the-mill, but, you know, upper kind of middle category um, sports car, let's just say a, a Subaru WRX. Yeah. There, are, there are things that when you get in, um, and I don't know if it's just because it was the way that my brain operates, but you look at like the HVAC controls Mm -hmm. and they have been manufactured to look like aluminum or a metal of some Mm -hmm. sort. And when you grab them and turn them, they, you know, they move really easily. Uh, There's very little resistance to them. Mm -hmm. It's a lightweight material. And I know that that's a part of the production process and it's shared amongst um, a a ton of other vehicles. So it's got the common platform. So I understand all of the rationale behind it, but I love so much what Singer does with these vehicles because they take, like you said, with these window switches, the smallest of detail, uh, smallest of details, 
and turn them into, for me, what I would love to have seen on my WRX, mm -hmm. which is these HVAC controls machi machined out of aluminum. And then they go, I know, even further than that. And I'm saying this without having ever touched one of the switches in a, in a singer. But um, for me, there's also a particular action yeah. on the on each of these dials or on these switches that there's a bit of a rebound there's a bit of resistance to them they have a, a, a more mechanical feel and they're notchy you know when you start to integrate that into the design of a vehicle that to me changes the way that you know your daily interaction happens and the mm -hmm. way and the way that you remember that car and the way that the feel is as much as it is the it for the interior as it is the driver the look and those little pieces are the things that for me, if I were to ever reimagine a car, it's like the first bits and pieces that I would ever do. All the I, stuff that you touch. It's right. everything yeah. that you have this daily interaction with that now all of a sudden, you know, you can go back and it's like old airplane switches and they have yeah. a click every time that they engage into another notch. And you, you just, I, I don't know, for me, I have this appreciation for that and the, the feel of it that I think from everything that I've seen and read that he's really, he's found perfection in, in terms of what he's embodied these 911s. It goes with. a long way towards explaining why the why these uh, restoring a 911 with them, with them is so expensive, right? So you first thing you have to do is you could you need to find a 964. And you know, we can help you with that or if you've got one already. So you send it down and then you're basically cutting a check for between 375 and 550 US on top of your donor car. And you go, "Wow, that's like a lot of money and but if you go down and visit and you start to look at how much time it requires to do all of this stuff, you go, oh, I can see why, like, you know, Rob's making money at this, but he's not making a lot of money. He's driving the same same old 911 that I am. He's driving a 95 <laughs> narrow body C2. It's not no like he's driving. Really. Yeah, it's wow. not like he's driving, you know, one of his creations. Yeah. Wait, now, sorry, before you go on yeah. with that, with that price, is it true? Have I heard correctly that you have to actually buy two? Of those nine six fours? No, no, no. Okay, you, okay. you just do one. Okay, so it's uh, your fact, donor your, car. Yeah, it's it, you know w the cars that they want to use as the basis for restorations are tired but never crashed nine six fours. Okay, yep. And then they'll tear everything out. The engine, you know, gets sent off to Ed Pink, and they rebuild it. They bore it out. If you decide if you want to go to a three eight or a four liter, but it's matching numbers when it comes back, right? So it's all but. You know, and it's it's all this manual labor. So the seats, this is like the most ridiculous example. So the seats, you know, you look at anything that Singer's worked on, and they've got kind of this. Unless you get the you order the one piece uh, carbon racing buckets, mm -hmm. they have these kind of seats that look like the old school Recaro, uh, you know, seventy seats with the adjustable head restraint. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that's kind of cool, and they actually use the seat frames out of the car that you send them. It's part of the soul of the original oh, no car. Kidding. So, wow. so they'll take your seats apart. They'll strip all of the foam off of them. And then they will use those as the basis for the new seats. Well, the motor for the power seat mechanism, you would think, you know, would be like in the base of the seat. Right. But it's yeah. actually in the seat back, like way up high where your head is. Really? And so there's a guy that spends like 80 hours on the pair of seats to relocate the power seat motor, you know, oh, to farther wow. down in the seat back no so that they way. can alter the frame to make these, you know, vintage looking seats. 
And you go, okay, like, okay, I kind of get why this is so expensive because I'm watching this guy for like hours on end just altering seat frames and making sure that all of the stuff works perfectly. That's bonkers. Um, and so that's just, you know, that, the window switches, like there's so many examples of this like stupid stuff that it's almost like this kind of unnecessary level of fastidiousness. Like if you were... If you were an engineer or a bean counter, you would look at this and you know, what are they, what are they doing? You yeah, know, like, this is also unnecessary. They've yeah. got these carbon fiber, but you cannot order the, a restoration with them that has bare carbon fiber because Rom doesn't like the look, right? So all the body panels except for the doors are carbon fiber, but they don't look like it. So you look at all of the effort that gets expended in, you know, on this and, you know, it's just like insane. But that's kind of the attraction too, right? Is that is, yeah. somebody has... You know, decided that they just want to be completely OCD and do things, you know, to 11 instead of 10 because that's their thing. Right? <laughs> and he really does take it to 11. Yeah. I, that's why the rev counter goes to 11, even oh, though it doesn't rev up yes. to 11,000 RPM. Of course. Yeah. I, re- <laughs> I remember seeing this. Yeah. And um, for those of you listening, so Lawrence is wearing a singer shirt and he actually brought me one of their brochures, which I am, I feel like I should put in a frame because it's so nice. <laughs> Even like the paper stock is amazing off of it. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we're going to go from the, uh, I want to say outrageous in a very good way with yeah, singer. It's completely outrageous. Um, to something that I think is extremely cool and super attainable that the FAF uh, Automotive Partners have done, which is the $10,000 race car challenge between Mm -hmm. the FAF dealerships. Mm -hmm. And so with that, give us the rundown on how how all of this comes together. I mean, is it, is this, has this happened for many years? Is this new? No, this is relatively new. And it was actually the brainchild of uh, our website guy. Uh, our digital marketing manager, who who I'm, you know, proud to say that I hired. Um, nice. Kudos to him and you. Yeah, kudos to him. He's a big. Uh, he's you know he's he's a gearhead like uh, like a lot of us. And we were in some meeting at one point, and uh, somebody was talking about employee engagement, and and you know he's uh, David uh, Chisholm is his name, and he came back. He's a pretty thoughtful guy. And he came back a couple of days later, and he says, "I have an idea." And you know, kind of pitched it to the executives and the executives said, ooh, that sounds risky. So, you know, let's try and change a couple of elements. But essentially, it would be his idea was you give, you give every dealership within our group 10 grand between, uh, you know, purchasing a car and modifying it. Uh, and, then, you know, kind of at the end of the season, we're going to have a race. <laughs> It sounds, it sounds so simple. Uh, mean, it, it, it sounds simple, but it really isn't, right? Because and the way that he'd sort of structured it, and he really put a lot of thought into it, is that you know uh, David got together with Steve Bordelotti, who runs our racing team, and they kind of mapped this out, and they said, well, you know, we part of the thing about this is that we want to make the track less intimidating for our employees who don't get to go there or don't do that on on a regular basis, mm-hmm. which is why we want to have this $10,000 limit. We want it to be unintimidating. We want a lot of people to get involved. So the challenge was, yeah, they're, they're, you know, we did a bracket-style drag race between all of the stores. We had an autocross challenge that was timed. 
and then we set lap times in each of the cars. Uh, you know, with every dealership was able to designate one hot shoe that kind of could set a lap time. Cool. And then there was like an endurance race where everybody on the team got to drive, but we weren't timing it. And you were actually, you had a, uh, an instructor in the car with you and you were being judged on essentially how good a driver you are, not how fast a driver you are. Wow. Um, well, that's smart. Nice. Yeah. And plus, yeah. you know, as Steve, you know, who runs our team said, like running a race team is not just about having the fastest car. It's about having a cohesive team. So every team also got marked on their presentation, you know, of the car itself. You know, the the livery, everybody kind of came up with a cool livery. Yeah, I saw so many cool ones. Yeah, there were some really, really cool ones. Uh, everybody, every team, you know, had to use part of their budget to do uniforms for themselves. Oh, no way. There was a hospitality element because that's part of what you do at the oh track, right? Is that you have to feed the team and you Smart. have to feed your drivers. The, and so, I mean, you guys could pay you so you guys could charge people to come in and just learn from this yeah and and you know we actually had a a few sort of outsiders from our various partners kind of come and, and sort of witness this and we actually have a meeting tomorrow about how we're going to do it better next year <laughs> nice. but uh but yeah that was kind of thing it was like it wasn't just about having the fast car it was ha about having the best team and you know we were i think very pleasantly surprised by the involvement across the group because we're 1200 people now spread across 20 some odd different businesses and you know, all in all, I think over 200 people actually participated in the challenge as part of a team. So that meant like we had techs that were preparing the cars and, you know, fixing them up yep. in their spare time. We had people that were doing graphics. We were had, we had people that were arranging food. We had so it was like kind of this all encompassing thing. So even if you didn't want to drive the race car. You could get involved somehow. You still have a real part in everything that was yeah. going on. Yeah. So where did it where did it take place? It, it, we actually did the did the race at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Um, cool. At the driver development track, which also has a big like skid pad area where mm -hmm. we could do you know an eighth of a mile drag race, uh, where we set up the big autocross course, and each team kind of had their tents and all of yep. their cars, and it was just really 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 well executed. You know. That's there's a nice hospitality center right there too. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it yeah, might, absolutely, probably worked yeah. well for you guys. Yeah, and that was kind of where the judges sort of did their thing, right? And there was a presentation element at the beginning of the day where you know you had to drive your car up and sort of present your car and your team to the yeah. judges. And, yeah, and so with that, so you were just saying judges. Mm -hmm. So how tell me how that how that worked in terms of judging and who who ended up winning this year? Well, the the judging was done by a couple of our executives as well as. Uh, Steve, who is our race team manager, yeah, uh, and uh, because Harley Davidson, you know, couldn't really sort of participate in this, there were members of the Harley Davidson staff that were judging as well. Oh, cool, yeah. Uh, and the overall winner this year was uh, actually the team, a combined team from our body shop and our leasing company, and uh, you know, it. The body shop guys they bought a totaled nine nine six. Okay. That they just put tons of sweat labor into putting right. Um, and they painted it because it's the body shop. They painted it uh, to do to match the livery of the Pink Pig, the 1971 um, 917. So it had it won oh, on livery. Cool. The car was fast. Uh, they had good drivers. And uh, just as a team, you know, they presented really well and, you know, ticked all the boxes. Our BMW store in Mississauga was uh, close second, followed by our Audi store in Vaughan. 
I actually was on the uh, FAF tuning team, mm. FAF tuning slash McLaren Toronto, and we who, came in. Who you would think would have been the shoe in. Well, you would think, <laughs> right? But it's not like you can find a McLaren for 10 grand. Of so course, yeah. our car was a, a BMW 335i mm-hmm. that had a blown engine that, you know, the techs put a lot of work into, into oh, fixing man. up. Um, and, you know, we missed the podium by one point. I'm oh, telling wow. you, next year, what we need to do is dedicate. I mean, you're having your meeting tomorrow, so you yes. can take this. This is free consultation. Yeah. Is let's put some, some. You know, we can put film students if we need, but yeah, we could really, really max this out and do some incredible filming. The movie is coming. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. you guys would easily produce a really, really cool film yeah. as a part of this. Um, be happy to help you with that. Yeah, yeah. No, the the movie is coming. There, there are four or five different cameras going the whole day, and there's just so much footage to, to sift through. Right? Brilliant. That, that's the big thing. Is the biggest challenge is through something of that scale and magnitude is editing. Yeah, making sure you tell the story accurately. Yeah, absolutely. you can tell the story however you want, but yeah, um, faff tuning just barely fell out of first place. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and it happens to be narrated by Lawrence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So we're going to move on because we're we're just about through our time here. Um, now, in terms of the upcoming, let's call it the upcoming months, yeah. there are two really cool events that are coming up. LA Auto Show, which is yes. in North America, the start to all of it. Yeah, pretty much. Essentially, because yeah. New York happens. Um, New York is kind of the close of the auto show season. Yeah, New York is right at the very tail end of it. Um, and then as we get through to LA, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's coming from um, us at Subaru and through you know whom I'm affiliated with that I won't be able to talk about. But um, <laughs> I, I, I've never been to the LA Auto Show before. Yeah. Um, I, I really want to go. It's a great show. And just at the tail end of that, um, so I two days of now what they used to say were the press days and now they're calling it the um oh my gosh I the social remember. media influencer days yeah it's, it's like the auto uh, i can't even remember the name of it something silly but there are all of the press reveals and some conference like a conference kind of element to all of it mm-hmm. i'm going to try to stick around for and check out this year and then what I'm very interested in and i know the guys don't listen to the show but i'm very i hope sorry i hope that they feel flattered by the fact that uh, the Driving Well Awesome guys and Brad, Bradley Brownell mm-hmm. also um, have put together Radwood, which uh, I think maybe three, four months ago was the yeah. first um, show that they held cars only from the 80s and the 90s. And they very much encourage everyone to dress in period correct attire, which mm-hmm. I think is super cool, too. I love their graphics. And their, yeah, the yeah. treatments. And they do a fantastic job. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's Lane Skelton who does all of their graphic work for them and some of their design work. He's fantastically talented. Mm-hmm. I think he captures everything that they are all about very well. Um, anyways, a really nicely collected brand. But so Radwood 2 is happening. Uh, it's going to be in Anaheim. It's on December 2nd, if I'm not mistaken. And that's a Saturday. Um, I am trying to stick around so we can, or so I can go and check it out. You may be around. I'm hoping that you. Come yeah, I, you know, I I missed the first one, but I, I Brad and I are Facebook friends. Basically, I don't think nice. we've ever met, but uh, we share a lot of the same interests. And I I I have a love of 80s and 90s cars. It was when I was growing up. All yeah. of the cars that I fell in love with were from that period, and. Uh, I, you know, I'm really, really hoping to make my way down there because it's, uh, and, and LA is so cool, right? Like you, everything happens 
in the car world there. So you can go and spend three or four days and knock that off, knock off the LA Auto Show, go and visit, you know, dealers and museums. And mm -hmm. there's so much to mm -hmm. do. Those are, there's so many things on that list that I want to check off and so many people that I want to see and mm -hmm. talk to. And yeah, I'd love to check out Robin Singer and, mm -hmm. you know, Jonathan Ward and the Icon crew. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I think I mistakenly earlier on, I can't remember. Wait, there is a singer. There is a singer watch, correct? There is indeed, yeah. There is. And then I'd also heard on the Smoking Tire podcast that Jonathan Ward is working on Jonathan a Ward his, is a watch geek as well. He's, he's yeah. working on a watch of his yeah. own yeah. Um, as well, which I would love to see, you know, both of, but more so I'd love to see their shops, their facilities, or just even anything, like any work in progress, I would drool over to be able to see while we're uh, while we're out there, but maybe we can do that. I yeah, mean, let's. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed that it works out. But yeah. um, I would uh, I'd love to do that. So before we leave, um, anything else coming up from FAF or any interesting news or anything that you wanted to share before we sign off? There is some really really cool stuff coming that I can't quite talk about. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, as we've said on previous shows, we are going to come back and we are going to talk about autonomous cars. It won't be on this episode in particular. But, I will be highly um, opinionated. We on are going subject. to, and we decided this just before the show started, we are going to bring this uh, topic back as a roundtable discussion, which will be the first ever roundtable discussion that the Bucket Seed Podcast has hosted. And I have a few guests in mind. Um, I think it'll be really cool to be able to talk about it from a few different perspectives. So that'll give you an idea for who those guests may be. I'd like to have somebody from the tech world as well, um, outside of the the circle of uh, of us automotive geeks. But um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, stay tuned for all of our other episodes that are coming up. Um, you can catch uh, me. You can catch us at the Bucket Seat, at both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, thebucketseat.ca. Me, Trevor, at thebucketseat.ca for any emails, episode suggestions, comments, all that wonderful stuff. So do hit me up for that. I'd love it if you rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's also on Shout Engine. It's on Stitcher. Uh, and I'm working on a pro account for SoundCloud, but it's not quite there yet. So stay tuned for that. Um, Lawrence, where can we find you? Uh, you can find us at, uh, at Faf Auto, P-F-A-F-F-A-U-T-O. Uh, and personally, you can find me at just my name, at Lawrence Yap on Instagram. I highly recommend you checking out Lawrence's Instagram account. Of course, Faf as well. Um, but uh, Lawrence's Instagram is always so interesting. And if you have any love for uh, for watches, I do uh, I do have to admit that I, I really don't know what I'm doing when it comes to watches. As you can tell, I'm not <laughs> even wearing one right now. It's but... shiny. It's complicated. It's prone to break down. It's just like and it's car. expensive. You're yeah. like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. It's exactly what I like. Yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned for that uh, for upcoming episodes. Um, we will have Lawrence back on the show for our roundtable discussion and hopefully many others. So um, hopefully we get to talk about Radwood in our next get together. Stay tuned and thank you so much for listening. Cheers.